0: welcome to the brave church podcast thanks for listening in today regardless of what you believe where you come from or what questions you might have you are welcome here we are a multi-site church based in the bay area and online you can find more information by going to brave.church now thanks for joining us we hope this talk helps you find and follow jesus Hey, welcome to Brave Church. My name is Samuel. I'm the lead pastor around here. Hey, thanks for joining us. Today, we're kicking off a talk series in the Book of Acts called Rise of the Resistance. Some of you are smiling right now, because you know, you know, Star Wars references just made their way back into church. (laughs) I love a good Star Wars reference. But hey, follow me, because I couldn't think of a better title for this series for this section of the Book of Acts. Uh, Recently I was at Disneyland with the family and it was my first time getting to see the new Star Wars area of the park. And so we had we had a lot of fun. I even bought a lightsaber. Not only are they fun, but they're functional. I put my girls to bed with it like every night. It just like tires them out. I just like go around hitting them and stuff. Like, you guys, you want to see a video actually? Check this out. We had so much fun, though. It was incredible. Uh, But for those who don't know, Rise of the Resistance is the name of the latest Star Wars ride that they opened in Disneyland. It's been super hard to get into because it opened just before the pandemic, but we were able to get in. And I've been a huge Star Wars fan since I was a kid. So this was a big moment. And I'm actually kind of mad because my family, they wanted to do all kinds of other stuff, like it's a small world and Toy Story. I could have spent the whole day in the Star Wars area. I actually want to go back for my birthday and just do that. (laughs) But back, okay. so back to the story. If you're not familiar with Star Wars, there's basically two groups of people, and they're at war, Okay, The Empire versus the Rebel Alliance. The rebels are the good guys. The Empire are the bad guys. And so on this ride, you literally get to walk through with actors, role-playing characters, and you start off in this ship that gets captured, and then you're taken through this huge enemy starship. Um, I, I took this photo of Pastor Chris, our new San Ramon campus pastor, while we are on the ride, and um, now it's his contact photo every time he calls me, and I just laugh. <laughs> but hey, have you ever been in an experience where you just had a moment? Okay, so so after laughing at Chris, I had a moment. It it was this one spot where there's this epic scene, and you walk into it without giving too much away, okay? But it's just like you come face to face with the enemy. They're all lined up, and it gives you this larger-than-life feeling of, wow, I'm in this thing. It's a battle, and it just feels so real. Those are the bad guys. We have to fight them. You don't get to, which would have been way more fun. I mean, imagine if I could have busted out my new lightsaber and just did some work. (laughs) But the truth is this, okay? From the very beginning to today, following Jesus has meant living in a war zone. We are part of an epic battle between good and evil. Ephesians six twelve says this, it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Here in Acts 3, the battle hasn't quite started yet. That's next week. But what we see here is a radical perspective that gave them the ability to win before the fight had even begun. They had a winning perspective. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. The title of today's talk is A Winning Perspective. Okay? In sports, they talk a lot about having mental toughness. Often, that's the difference between those who made it through the pressure and the big moments and those who choke or collapse. And so what we're talking about here today is bigger than mental toughness, okay? It's not just being able to handle the pressure. These Christians and all the great men and women of the faith were marked by something beyond just a toughness for some really intense situations, okay? What we see here isn't a superior mental conditioning. They had a whole different way of seeing the world. They had God's perspective. God's perspective gives us power, God's perspective gives us power. I just started reading a book that a friend recommended to me all about models of thinking, okay? And in the book, you find a model called first principles, which is a model of thinking that Elon Musk famously used to drive the growth of Tesla. But the premise of this book is that if you have the right models for how you think, when you're problem solving, you'll be more successful, right? If, when you have the right perspectives, Okay, So ideally, you'll be able uh, to anticipate problems before they occur. And then you'll start to be able to anticipate them and avoid them. In the book, the author writes this. He says, when you learn to see the world as it is and not as you want it to be, everything changes. The solution to any problem becomes more apparent when you can view it through more than one lens. The foundation for all great thinking is a grasp on reality. Real facts, real truth, real life. No strategy or great idea will work if it's not grounded by reality. Maybe you know what it's like to feel stuck, like your life just won't pick up in in the pace and the direction that you're trying to go. Maybe you know what it's like to make the best choices that you know to make and wonder why the same challenges keep coming back to life. As a follower of Jesus, this is my foundation for a winning perspective. I believe that ultimate reality is found when we see the world according to its creator. And I believe that God's perspective gives us power. In Greek mythology, Antaeus was the human giant son of Poseidon, god of the sea, and Gaia, mother of earth. Antaeus had a, a strange habit. He would challenge everyone who passed through his country to a wrestling match. And the goal of this match is to force the opponent to the ground. Antaeus was undefeated and virtually invincible, except for one catch. His epic strength depended on constant contact with the earth. When he lost touch with the earth, he lost all of his strength. And so one day, Hercules challenged him to a fight. But after flinging him to the ground several times and seeing him revived, he realized that he couldn't win with his usual techniques. Instead, Hercules fought to lift him up off the ground away from contact with his mother earth and Antaeus lost his strength. And so Hercules was able to defeat him. When understanding is separated from reality, we lose our powers. So for a follower of Jesus, it's not some magic formula, but it is a principle to understand that if we want to experience more of the power of God at work in our lives, we need to see the world from God's perspective because God's perspective is reality. The more we see as God does, the more we can walk in his power. When we read or hear a story, you know we all bring our own perspective to it. And so today and every time we open scripture, what we're after and what we're asking for is that the Holy Spirit would help us see from God's perspective. So hey, before we read Acts 3, I want to pray with you, and let's ask God, let's agree together that we need God's help to see what he wants to show us today. So if you bow your heads and join me, let's, let's begin with prayer. God, I pray right now that you would be the loudest voice in this room, that you would be the loudest voice that we hear. God, I pray as we humbly come before you, that you would speak to us in a way that transforms our lives, that shows us better ways of thinking, better ways of living, better ways of seeing, and better ways of acting. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, let's begin with our passage. We're starting off Acts 3, verse 1. It says, One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Number one, you can write this down, assess your wants, and ask for your needs. Assess your wants and ask for your needs. That's a powerful perspective shift. Because what we're praying for and we're hoping for, or desiring, might not be the same as what we need the most. See, what if when what we want isn't as good as what God wants to give you? That's what we see happening here in this story. In this story, we have a beggar, and he's sitting at the temple gates. And, and this would have been very common, OK? But he's, but he's thinking I just need some money to get through this night. Like, I just need some food for my hungry stomach. And none of us would disagree with this perspective. We would all agree that this is a a reasonable thing for him to be asking for and hoping for. But then Peter says this, he says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. So what's going through this beggar's mind? And he might be thinking, "Well, who is Jesus? Like, I need money to eat. I just need some food. This isn't what I want. It's not what I'm asking for." Have you ever felt let down by God? Maybe you've been asking him for a new job and he's not provided what you what you've been asking him for. And this is honestly where a lot of people get stuck, right? When they're asking God for something and they're in this place of not getting what they want. Uh, my daughter Mia. Uh, she she loves ice cream, OK? She's two years old, and she thinks that she should get ice cream for every meal. OK? And ice cream is great, right? None of us, I mean, if you don't like ice cream, I don't know what's up. But but I asked her the other day, I'm like, hey, hey Mia, do you want to go on a date with Dada? And she said, yes. And I said, do you want to get dinner? And she said, no, I want ice cream. <laughs> and she gets really disappointed when I won't feed her ice cream for dinner. But the truth is, what she really needs is something with sustenance, Okay, And in the same way, God knows exactly what we need. Sometimes he gives us ice cream, but sometimes he gives us a really good meal, which is what we need to be healthy and to thrive. And so God has this totally different way of seeing our needs and our wants. And the more we see from his perspective and we learn to ask and be aware of his perspective, the more we walk in this power. Um, when, I was, when I first moved to the Bay Area, all I wanted was to live in San Francisco, okay? And, and it took me a few years to get, to get there, but I eventually moved out, all the while serving and working here at Brave, still very involved, but I wanted to be in a place where there were people more my age, you know, and I, I fantasized about what it would be like to live in the city. Since I was a kid growing up in Sacramento, I just wanted to be in San Francisco. And so I moved out there, and, and, and I did a reverse commute and it was a great season of life. Okay, I had a lot of fun, made some of my best friends during that season. I loved it. But the thing is, I didn't want to leave. Okay? Okay? What I wanted at the time was to spend the rest of my life there. I wanted to get married and stay there. I even remember telling my mentors, I just think I'm called you know, to do ministry in a more urban environment. I even told my counselor that. You know, I processed it a lot. Then I got married and my wife, she had different desires. She had different wants, OK? She was seeing further down the field than I was. And what I mean by that is, well, she was really deeply assessing on a, on a, level, on a whole other level, really just thinking about not just what feels good right now, but what will make us persistently happy. God, what do we need? And my dad, one of my closest mentors, you know, he saw a different future for us as well. And God had a different perspective. God had called me to be based here in the East Bay, and this is where He planted me. So I accepted God's call, and when I, came, when I became a dad, and that was really the biggest shift of all, uh, because on, not only had I accepted God's call, but guess what? What I needed and what I wanted actually became one and the same. See, God knew what I would want before I did. When you seek God's perspective. It gives you the ability to make decisions based on a promised future that your feelings would actually trick you from accepting. Maybe you're here today and you're really disappointed because you've been asking for something for a while. What if instead you asked God, is there something different that I need? Is there something that you wanna give me that's not what I think I want? What does God want to give you? Let's continue, verse eight. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. This miracle would have drawn a lot of attention. Okay, people were talking about it. There was a buzz. In today's terms, this was bigger than how Kanye released Donda. <laughs> Everybody was talking about it, except the point of this buzz isn't really about Peter and John or the guy who got healed. So let's continue verse 11, see what happens. It says, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished, and they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk? Number two, the power of God in us is not about us, okay? The power of God in us is not about us. When Peter saw that they were being credited for what God had done, he immediately pointed them back to God. And you know, this can be a little tricky for us because the tension is, well, what did I do and what did God do? You know, Peter said yes to God. Peter obeyed God. Peter had a part to play, but only God but only God could make a lame man walk. Peter had to know that he had God-given power and authority, and then he had to act in faith that God would do what only God could do. See, Peter by himself, he couldn't do it. But God seldom does miracles by himself. He chooses to partner with people. The interesting thing is there there are some things that we do, right? It's not wrong to recognize Peter's part. It's just that when we confuse the power of God with our human ability, it can hijack God's glory. God deserves the glory for every miracle that he does. God's power working through us is not about us. It's first about God, and it's about what he's doing then it's about us as children of God and servants of the Most High. Have you ever met someone and you just thought, man, they are so arrogant? <laughs> don't say their name out loud. Uh, but I'm just, if they're sitting next to you, don't elbow them. But I'm just saying we can all probably think of someone, right? Well, well, I don't see myself as particularly prone to this kind of arrogance, but I will say this. I've always felt more comfortable with the line of thinking that says, give God all the credit for Everything. And in a sense, we should, but in another sense, that's not really the full picture. See, that can lead to a false humility that's just as self centered. God does create people, and He gives them abilities, and He asks us to use our energies and our efforts for His purposes. There's some stuff that people say, I did that. You know, you can say, I recognize what I accomplished. In fact, I would argue that being able to say that really makes the God stuff stand out even more because when you can say, I did that, you can also say, I could never do that. And that's where God comes in. When we moved here to the Bay to start Brave Church, uh, we put it all on the line. And when I say we risk some, I was living off my savings. I left a great job and a thriving season in youth ministry. But, but my dad really risked it all. Okay? He risked a comfortable retirement. He risked being able to provide for my mom with her illness and my brother, who's disabled. And when we moved here, we, we really burned the bridges. I mean, there was no escape clause. This had to work. But the problem, even with saying it that way, when, I, when it comes to starting a church, is you know how much of this working is within your ability, right? As hard as you try to make things work, as hard as you try, there's only so much that you can do. See, a church, in its essence, has to be a work of the Spirit. My dad says most every church plant experiences a confirming miracle within its first few years, something only God can be praised for. This church is founded on a miracle story. We had no money, no people, and no place to meet. And within three months, God gave us a building, people, and provision. And if you haven't heard the whole story, join us for Fast Track next week. We we go over the whole origin story in step one of Welcome to Brave. But the point is this. When God does something, it's undeniable. God is at work in this church. I can celebrate and honor the faith of my dad, and those who stepped out to be a part of this new thing that God is doing, even in this recent season with Pastor Roger and many others. But, but also, we must recognize the God part. So then the question for all of us is this. How can I give God more credit for what he's doing through my life? How can I give God more credit for what he's doing through my life? This is a real tension. It's not always clear. See, on one hand, it's wrong to take credit for what God does but it's also wrong to give him credit for what we do. In the Bible, there's a parable called the parable of the talents that shows us that we were put on earth to work, that we were put on earth with purposes that we were created to fulfill. And God not only recognizes, but he rewards us for using the talents that he's given us to help others. So I think a a good starting point is just to ask yourself, well, what in my life could I have never orchestrated, strategized, or made happen? thank you, God, for blank. Thank you, God, that she said yes. Thank you, God, for this job that I really wasn't qualified for. Thank you, God, for giving me the friend I needed, not the friend I wanted. How clearly do you see the difference between what you're doing and what only God could do? And how can you give him the credit that he deserves? Who who could you tell about it? This next section of Acts 3 is really uh, where it all just gets brought home. This is the gospel presentation. In verses 13 through 24, Peter gives this Jewish audience the full rundown. And look at what it says in verses 15 and 16. It says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Only God can do that. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. Only God can do that. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. So far, we've learned that a winning perspective is about first assessing your wants and asking for your needs. Then, two, recognize that the power of God in us is not about us. And lastly, a clear takeaway from this gospel presentation is this number three, never waste a miracle. Never waste a miracle. Why is it in this situation that, what is it about this situation that makes it so powerful? Well, it's not just that this miracle happened. It's not just what this miracle meant for this man or what they got to to witness. It's what it meant for the crowd. See, the point of miracles is always for impact. I wonder how in tune you are with the miracles of God that happen in your life. Apart from your spiritual views, I mean, uh, I think many of us would agree that we live in an entitled culture. We, we have high expectations and that's become a baseline. It's, it's harder to find beauty and gratitude in the simple things. It's hard to see the miracles. Entitlement kills our ability to see the incredible grace of God in our lives. When we take miracles for granted, we waste them. So so it starts with first recognizing what God is doing in our lives that only God can do. And then saying, God, how could you use this as an opportunity for me to glorify you? I mean, think about this. Peter and John, they haven't always had this perspective. Okay, Jesus once asked them, where's your faith at? (laughs) Somewhere along the way, there was a perspective shift. When you look at your life this last week or maybe even the last six months of your life, How have you seen the power of God at work in you and through you? Have you sensed his power at work? If not, would you be willing to try? What if you opened up your life and invited the Holy Spirit to come in and to move, just as we saw in Acts 3, in a real and tangible way? Notice that Peter, he spoke in great faith, But before the healing took place, he reached out and he grabbed the man's hand and he pulled him up to his feet. See, Peter's perspective was that faith and action equals experiencing God's power. This week, maybe maybe pray for someone to be healed or invite someone to church or share your story of coming to faith. Put your faith in action this week. When we step out in faith, God shows us his power. How is your life pointing others to Jesus. Or ask yourself this, when was the last time you told someone for the first time about Jesus? One more question. I just want to ask you one more question. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to me right now through this message? Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak to every person listening right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for the Brave Church podcast. If this ministry is impacting you, please consider giving to support what God is doing through our church. For questions or to get connected, please visit brave.church. We'll see you next week.